our tap water is pure water. And pure water falls under uh, our tap water, uh, distilled water, any type of water the, uh, the pharmacy wishes to do for non-sterile compounding. Welcome to the Becoming a Pharmacy Badass podcast, where we talk about how to diversify your revenue streams, increase your net income, and optimize your operations to create the pharmacy of your dreams. I hope you enjoy and subscribe. Well, hello, all you wonderful pharmacy badasses. Uh, you guys have been thoroughly enjoying our sessions with RJ Hedges, um, one of the leading best people, most knowledgeable people about pretty much all things compliance in pharmacy. Um, I've heard lots of messaging from you guys on our previous episodes, and we are continuing our series with Jeff um, on non-sterile compounding. So there, again, some big changes happening in November. A lot of these changes that we've been talking about are coming really to fruition in November, which is just around the corner. So whether you're watching this at the end of October or you're watching this years from now, um, these changes are going to impact your pharmacy and you need to make sure that you are compliant. Uh, so we are gonna be focusing on non-sterile compounding. And just in case you're, you're not sure, you're like, who the heck is Jeff Hedges and what did I miss? Um, I would like to invite Jeff in. And Jeff, if you can go ahead and just give us a brief overview of all of the things that you help independent pharmacies stay compliant with, because that really is obviously your sweet spot. Okay, thank you. Um, the best way to describe it, all the regulations you hear about, you don't want to know about, you don't want to talk about, we do it for you. We provide all the documentation of policies, the forms, everything's customized to the individual pharmacy. Uh, you don't have to remember everything because it's too much. No one can remember it all. So we issue out a monthly task list. And every month, we, we break everything out throughout the year. So every month, on the first of the month, you go in, you click on the task list. And as long as you do everything in that task list, it's not a big deal when a regulator comes in. It's probably a big deal whoever the regulator goes to next, but it's not an issue for you. So we and we support you. You have a dedicated project manager who's your basically your system compliance officer. Um, and it's just it goes on and on and on. I could talk about it. We started in 2006 <laughs> and we just grew with all these rules and regulations. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, it's huge, which is non-sterile compounding, which is I've been working on since November of last year. And this is by far the biggest project I've ever worked on, not only in my company, but in the Air Force. And I did some pretty big stuff there. And uh, But it is very, very detailed. Yes, there are massive changes com coming. And, you know, as, as tough as it is in pharmacy, I've actually been contacted by a lot of pharmacies that are either opening, like they're they're brand new and they're opening and they're like, where do I start? Obviously, compounding is regaining resurgence. I think the whole GLP-1 craze has made a lot of people refocus on compounding. Um, certainly, that's from a sterile perspective. There's some non-sterile options. But I also think pharmacies are, are re-falling in love with compounding because it's tough on the regular commercial side. You know, pharmacies aren't making it with the DIR fees, lower reimbursements, you know, all of the things that cause pharmacy owners headache with their cash flow, compounding can kind of solve it all. You can have a thriving, wonderful cash-only compounding pharmacy 
but you have to make sure you're doing it right. And compounding was my first love in pharmacy. I absolutely love compounding. So I love talking to pharmacy owners that are interested in starting. And when it comes to compliance, um, I certainly can answer a lot of questions. And then when it comes to accountability, I tap out. I'm like, you go need, you need a program of somebody that's really going to hold your hand on this because it is too much to remember. It's, it's too much to reinvent the wheel. You have more important things to do as a pharmacy owner, like marketing and growth and patient follow-up and patient care than doing all of the stuff that you guys have already systemized and put together. So the point of today's podcast is to go through some of the points of the things that are changing that you need to be aware of if you're doing non-sterile compounding. And so we're just going to kind of go through some of them. Uh, we'll spend a little bit more time on some others. And then, of course, we will we'll throw you over and highly recommend that you follow up with Jeff and his wonderful team over there, which, of course, everybody's amazing. And um, in order to, to find out more about these rules changes and figure out how your pharmacy can become compliant. But we want this to be educational. Uh, we want this to make sure that you're aware of the changes that are happening. So, Jeff, I'm going to throw it over to you. Um, let's first start talking about water. A lot of people ask questions about water because water is a big deal when it comes to USP. So let's go ahead and start with water and then we'll continue with there. Water in the United States is actually easy. Uh, when you look at uh, the United States water and our water systems and everything we have here, USP, as well as uh, the federal government, has stated that our tap water is pure water. And pure water falls under uh, our tap water, uh, distilled water, any type of water that, uh, the pharmacy wishes to do for non-sterile compounding. If it's sterile compounding, different rules. So it's going to start off with distilled, and but you need to refer back to 797 to verify what the water requirement is there. That I think solves a big a big issue because a lot of people say, do, "What water system do I need now?" I prefer in my pharmacies we still did like the reverse osmosis water. Um, I think it just uh, made me feel a little bit better that it was you know, as pure as we could easily make it for our non-sterile lab. So that's perfectly fine. Like you said, if you want to go a little further, but you could just use your tap water. So um, I think that solves a big issue. But what what changes are really happening? What Because compounding is regulated by state boards of pharmacy. Of course, if you're going to go, unless you're going to go for the full outsourcing facility with the FDA. So what changes are happening that is making all of this stuff come up that pharmacies need to be aware of for November 1st? The biggest thing is, is the change in the rules and guidelines. Uh, we're going back to 2016, uh, which was the last update to USP 795, as well as all the other USPs. Another one of the things is, is a lot of people say, well, it's just a guideline from USP. Well, if you read the whole big uh, USP compendium, which is, I think, 1,500 pages or so, on page four, it actually cites that the USP uh, guidelines are part of a CFR, Code Federal Reg Regulations, which means it's actually a federal law in the United States. All the other state our countries around the world, they have to adopt what they're going to do or how they're going to do it. But in most cases, you're going to follow USP because they are the uh, gold standard. 
Yep. And many boards of pharmacy will just follow USP. Exactly. There are always those weird states that kind of go further than USP or change things. Um, you know, we're talking about California and, you know, some others, but for the most part, um, a lot of the boards of pharmacy will just kind of adopt and rubber stamp USP. Um, not every state does. Some states aren't going to enforce it, you know, and those kinds of things. But I think for the most part, a lot of states recognize that USP is the gold standard and that if you're going to be a compounding pharmacy with the, with a state board license that they're approving, that they want you to follow USP guidelines. So um, what are some of the changes? Let's get into some of the things that um, pharmacies need to be aware of, that they need to make sure that they are compliant with so they're not getting in trouble with their state board of pharmacy. One of the first things you need to do is have a designated compounding lab. It could be a separate room. It could be on the corner of a building, but it has to be designated. It's best if it's walled off. It's okay to have windows so the uh, patients can see that you're actually in there, but it has to be designated. As of November 1st, there is no more compounding on a pharmacy counter, behind the counter, or anywhere in the retail section if you have a retail section. Very imperative. You cannot do this. The next item is the hazardous drug negative pressure room. This room has to be secure. It has to be airtight. You have to have some kind of uh, all your environmental controls to ensure that you get 12 air changes per hour. And as you go through this, you can't just put something up and say it's okay. This unit has to be tested. It has to be um, able to do this. To do it on your own, it's pretty expensive. It's also pretty expensive if you put one, uh, you hire one of the uh, companies that have these prefab units. They're the best because they come in, uh, these companies come in, they design it, they put it in, they make sure all, everything's set up for you, you get a certification that's there, and off you go. The next thing when you look at your negative pressure room is, is that, one, you have to store all your hazardous drugs within the negative pressure room. So you don't want to make it too small. The next item is, is the amount of, of people you're going to have working in there. For example, if you have only you're ever going to have one person compounding, <clears throat> it can be a little bit smaller. But if you're going to have two or even three people compounding in that negative pressure room, you have to have enough space for all the people that you're going to have compounding at the same time. You got to make sure you have a sink, uh, dishwasher. Some states require dishwasher. Whatever you do, you have to look at all the requirements and make sure that they are in there. Uh, but again, the environmental controls. But then it moves into your personal protective equipment. With personal protective equipment, you have to look at the SDS. And I know we've been talking about SDSs for years. Because all the way back when they first started, when I was in the Air Force, about 35 years ago, and uh, they came out, it puts in a lot of data in there. The biggest thing in there that you need to review first is the personal protective equipment. Now, each drug has its own uh, PPE requirement. So, for example, you have someone working in the, uh, in the lab, negative pressure lab, and their requirement for that drug is a M95 mask and protective gloves. 
fine, no problem. If someone comes into the lab and they're going to do a compound, which happens to be a hazardous drug as well as a hormone, then you have to follow the rules for that because you're going to need a respirator that's been personally fitted to that individual. You're going to have all the garbs starting from uh, with your hair at the top of your head, going all the way down to your feet with footies, the gowns, everything will be there. So if that person walks in to do a compound and the other individual that's there is with a M95 mask, the, that person has to go outside, get garbed up and then come back in. No exceptions. So the easy way around this is, is look at all the items you have. Pick the most restrictive and then make that your actual standard for working in the negative pressure lab. Might sound extreme, but you've got to protect your pay, uh, your employees. You've got to ensure that the state board inspector comes in and is not going to see two different types of people in that lab uh, with a different types of PPE. So it is very, very important that we do this. The other thing is, is I get people saying, ah, I don't need a, uh, a negative pressure room. All I'm doing is non-sterile compounding. And it says, well, you don't do hazardous drugs? Nope, not at all. Then I asked the question, you plan on doing hormones? Oh, yeah, I'm going to do that. That's where all the money is. Guess what? That's a hazardous drug. And you have to do it in the negative pressure lab. And it requires the most restrictive uh, personal protective uh, equipment. So please use that and please follow that. Also, you need a spill kit. That spill kit needs to be inside the uh, negative pressure room because that's where your hazardous drugs are stored. That's where you're going to do the compounding. So it needs to reside in there. Uh, and you got to make sure it's in there when you're compounding. So, And it's not something you're just going to buy uh, at the grocery store. It's a spill kit for babies who vomit or, or poop or whatever they may be doing. Uh, that's one thing. That's Technically, in a pharmacy, that is a biohazard, but it's not a, um, a spill kit for this. And inside the spill kit, uh, we also have other requirements in there. You got to have them absorb it. You got to have a couple other items. We also have a bag requirement. So if it is a hazardous drug and uh, it's being uh, all the PPE and everything gets disposed into a yellow bag. If it is a hazardous drug waste, then it has to go into a black bag. And then we have the one we've always seen is the red bag or red containers, and that is the uh, for biohazards. Again, you could have the possibility of all three of those being in your uh, in your negative pressure lab. So you got to put that into your requirements as far as putting in uh, the space requirements you need. A lot of the questions that I've been getting are about the master formu formula and the batch compounding records. Um, a lot of people don't understand this. And usually when I get those questions, my first question back to them is, have you gone through a compounding training course? Because when you're reading a lot of this stuff, if you really haven't been trained and haven't been explained, it sounds very confusing. 
And usually when I get some certain questions from compounders or people who want to be compounders, I kind of know right away that they haven't gone through any sort of formal training course. And they're just, they're just trying to figure it out. And as somebody who loves figuring stuff out, um, you know, I, I can admire that. But compounding is probably not the area that you just want to fumble through. Um, so I highly encourage if you if you're interested in compounding and you haven't gone through just a basic like foundations of compounding course. And, you know, maybe that one class 20 years ago in pharmacy school probably doesn't you know hold up anymore um, is to is to pick a compounding course. You know, they say, which one's better? They're all good. You know, all the ones by the major companies, they're all good. They'll give you a good foundation. And then that way, when you're reading some of these things like master formula record and compounding lab record, like, you know what those differences are and they're not the same thing. So I know there's some um, paperwork, if you will, even if it's virtual paperwork, you know, some of those requirements are changing. And I'm glad, I'm glad they are because I think batch records and master formula records are very important. Um, you know, I've, I've used those my entire compounding career and I actually loved it. I liked the structure that they provide, but I know there's changes happening on that, that front too. Okay, so we'll just start uh, with all the changes. Go to your compounder. Uh, PCCA, I'm working with them. They have a phenomenal program. They not only provide you the compounds, they provide you the, uh, uh, the software you can use. They now have two softwares whichever works best for you. They provide you the standard operating procedures, which is great. We do not provide standing operating procedures. We provide policies and procedures. And there's a big difference between the two. Uh, but go to them. They're providing tons of training. Same with all the other companies, out, compounding companies out there. Use them first. Go to their training. Uh, and you're going to be in good shape. They're, gonna, they're not going to allow you to fail. So now form master formulary record. Okay. First off, when you go back right before the pandemic happened, we had all these rules coming out and there was requirements that you had to do. And it got, um, it got pulled back because of the pandemic and because we no one could decide what to do with a bud. We'll get to that moment, but uh, anything that you heard, it's probably wrong. And the best thing we get is, is that someone told me that I needed to do this. What we found out, that somebody is always wrong. So don't listen to them. I read. Uh, it's uh, All inf information is there. Uh, our policies, we break it all apart. So we put the guidelines and standards up front for that particular policy procedure. So that makes it easy as far as looking at the regulatory requirement. But the, uh, but the master formulary is your Bible. If USP has a monogram, use that. Uh, fine. No problems with them at all. And then for the people who are just thinking about getting into it, think about your mother's recipe book. That is exactly what a monogram is or a master formulary. And then you have to document everything either on uh, electronic format or on a hard copy, what's called a compounding record. And that is documenting everything that whoever put it together did from the start all the way through the mixing and into the bowel or whether it's cream or into a capsule, however the final form is, you're going to take care of it. Uh, 
And you've got to have them on uh, on on file. I mean, it's like if you don't have a negative pressure room and you don't have a master formula and the state board walks in, uh, you might as well just close your pharmacy because they're going to do it for you. Yeah, they're, they're going to have a field day. I always look at the master formula record as like your recipe book, like here's what you're supposed to do. But every time you make a recipe, it's slightly different. We're human. You know, if you're, you're, if you're supposed to measure one gram, sometimes you'll measure 1.02 grams, or sometimes you'll measure 1.01 or 0.99 or whatever the case may be. So that's the difference between your master. Your master says one gram, but do you actually ever measure exactly one gram? Maybe one of those once in a while, you hit those like magic. You're like, woo, I'm right on. But every single time you make a compound or a recipe in this case, like what we're talking about, it is slightly different. And so that's what you're recording. You're recording, what did I do today? Because if I make this formula every day for the next 30 days, they're all technically very slightly different because we're human and you're measuring things and things don't come out um, exact the same. And so you want to record that. You want to record how much did you weigh? Um, who weighed it? You know, was it Marissa or was it Timmy? Uh, and so you're recording people, you're recording times, you're recording weights. And so it's actually what happened. So it's the difference between like what's your plan, your plan is the master formula record or that monogram, and then it's actually what happened. And there's very important reasons why when it comes to recalls, when it comes to safety, um, you use a different lot number. You know, you're, you're at the first of the month, you're making something and it's lot one. By the time you get to day 15 and you're making that formula for the 10th time, you might be on lot three and you might get a notice in three months from your manufacturer that lot three was bad, you know, but lot one was good. And so you have to be able to differentiate between those. And so that's why it's so important that you differentiate between the plan and actually what you used and what happened on that compounding lab record. Absolutely. So let's go into um, a little bit of like the cleaning requirements. I would probably say cleaning and deactivating is probably one of the most confusing areas that even seasoned compounders get a little tripped up on. So let's talk a little bit about cleaning and um, how, how you do and what you do uh, for that in the lab. They must be cleaned at the beginning and the end of each shift after a spill or whenever the surface is contaminated. You also have to clean and sanitize everything within that compounding uh, area that you're working at. Floors require daily uh, cleaning uh, after spills and uh, again, when we have contamination or spill. Walls every three months, uh, you're, gonna uh, you're gonna clean the walls. If you have a spill, again, you're gonna go through that. Next item up is ceilings. Uh, yeah, your ceiling has to be cleaned. When it's visibly uh, uh, soiled, uh, if there would be a, some kind of a, a pop where everything pops out of the valve or your mixer is starting and it goes all the way to your ceiling, it has to be cleaned. I will say you're not, your storage compounder, you're not a real compounder, Jeff, until you've gotten your ceiling dirty. Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to say it. Like It's going to get dirty. Uh, it's just like... Uh, saying that it never happened, it's like saying you never had a HIPAA breach. There is not, the only way you don't have a HIPAA breach is if you don't do anything. You have to use something that's going to uh, clean and get everything off. Also, any uh, HIV, TB, uh, uh, Hep B, those types of things have to be used to help clean. And 
before COVID, we didn't have we only have one or two products out there. Now post COVID, we have tons of things. So use them and don't be afraid and be uh, proactive. I mean, do you really want to work in a dirty area? And does your parent uh, patients even want to see your compounding lab that's all cruddy? No. I mean, it's, uh, just because you're not sterile doesn't mean you're not clean. Yep, absolutely. And keeping track of all of that. So even just a few things we've talked about, there's a lot of tracking involved. Um, and we haven't even gotten into like training documentation for your employees. And so if you're if you're listening, you're probably thinking, how in the world am I supposed to track all this? And that's just it. That's what we said. You can't you can't try to remember it. And certainly you can create your own checklists and, and documentation. But, you know, and in, in, uh, like I said earlier, I personally believe you all have better things to do that can grow your pharmacy and instead go to somebody like an expert like Jeff and his team that they give you every month. This is what you're doing. And if you just do that little bit every month and you do those tasks, you're going to stay on target of being compliant. You're not going to, you're not going to stress when that inspector comes, you're not going to worry when you hear about the guy, you know, the next town over that got shut down uh, for not being compliant because that is happening. Um, it's definitely happening. There's some states that are obviously taking a little bit more aggressive approach on that, but it is definitely happening. And if you're like, oh, we haven't been inspected in years, trust me, it's happening. It's changing. And this is coming down from the top to the bottom to the to the boards of pharmacies that they need to be inspecting these pharmacies. The pandemic's over. Um, there's no longer any excuses or delays when it comes for that. So it's really important that you do take a very focused approach of making sure that if you're compounding or wanting to compound, that your lab is compliant. And uh, Jeff has a wonderful program. I encourage you at least to check it out before you decide to try to do it yourself or um, maybe use somebody who's uh, not as experienced because I don't think there's anybody more experienced than Jeff. Uh, and um, just go through the process and see how, how easy they make it. I will say it's not easy, but they do a lot of the heavy lifting that in order to comply, uh, it's a whole lot less work with them. So um, Jeff, how can someone reach out to you, reach out to your team to, to go through and see what it is that you exactly how to offer and how you'll make their lives easier? So the easiest way to get a hold of us is either call us, our phone number is right here behind me, or 724-357-8380. Or send us an email at sales at rjhedges.com. And you also can go out to our website, www.rjhedges.com. We have a lot of information up there. We're constantly updating it. We're going to be putting up some more information uh, in the next couple of days. But uh, look at what we have. Look at, if you don't want to use us, that's fine. But look at whoever you do use. Are they going to be able to support you? Are they just going to give you something and not support it? Uh, look it over. Talk talk about it. Ask for references. Uh, we have no problem ask, uh, giving out references because our references are quality. And our references are pharmacies. They're not organizations. So as you can do this, and a lot of questions, well, can I do this? I don't want to spend that much money. Well, yeah, you absolutely can do it. But you got to remember, this project, I started last November, and we're here at the end of October. It took me one year to do all this work. Do you have a year? I mean, uh, the amount of money uh, 
that you would invest writing your own because basically you're going to go um, full time, 2,080 hours times your hourly rate. That's what it's going to cost you um, because it's just so, so much work. Uh, so look it over. Uh, I hope you uh, like what you see here or here today. Uh, come join us. I mean, my staff is unbelievable. And Lisa's been saying here, it's all about me. No, it's not. Uh, I'm just a pretty face in front of you. <laughs> That's the joke of the day. But anyways, uh, my staff is right there. You get a dedicated project manager who becomes your assistant compliance officer. We're training our staff right now on compounding, uh, and it's going to be difficult for them. But we have all the items that you need. We have a search engine, so if you need that, the task list. Um, there is a lot of things we do to support you. So if you need help, give us a holler. If, you want, um, if you're not sure, give us a holler. Sales staff will go through and actually interview you and make sure you have uh, what you need. If you have everything you need, no problem. Uh, but if you don't and you need help, let us have a chance. Absolutely. All right. Um, I hope you've enjoyed these compliance series. Um, there's lots of things happening from the DEA to hazardous drugs to compounding. Obviously, DSCSA is pushed back till 2024. However, I would not sit on it and just <laughs> go through and get ready for that. So if you've missed any of our previous episodes with Jeff Hedges, go back on whether it's you're listening or you're watching and watch those because you just want to make sure there's so much a pharmacy owner, it is easy for things to slip through. Don't don't beat yourself up for it. It is not all up to you. Um, go through and listen to some of those past episodes. Make sure there's nothing out there uh, that you've missed that you mean to make sure to be compliant because November is going to be a very busy compliant month. So thank you so much, Jeff, for pouring your information into this, for all the work that you do behind the scenes that nobody sees how many hours that you spend on this. And uh, I certainly appreciate it. And I know all of your pharmacy owner clients certainly appreciate it because you certainly make our lives a heck of a lot easier by doing the down dirty work that nobody wants to do for us. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here are four ways I can help you have a more profitable pharmacy for free. One, join my free group at lisasrxgroup.com. Two, get the latest strategies at diversifyrx.com forward slash blog. Three, watch helpful videos at lisasyt.com. Four, hit that subscribe button and please be sure to leave us a five-star review so we can help more pharmacy owners and bring those insights back to you. Becoming a Pharmacy Badass is proud to be a part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network.